0: Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean clean This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Gabe Coyle. I am one of the pastors here. And let me just say from the start, and I said it in the first service, I'll say it again. I want to say a huge thank you to Don. Your exceptional work, your courageous spirit. For telling a story that so often many would want to just overlook. Because if we're ever going to move forward, we have to first remember, repent, and then seek reconciliation in the light of the truth of the history. So thank you so much. Now I want to invite each and every one of us to close our eyes for just a moment. And I want you to take note of what images pop up in your mind when you hear these words of Jesus. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them it's like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. Now open your eyes. If we did not see the local church as a part of the picture as to what Jesus is inviting in those words, we've completely missed what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus' invitation has always been extraordinarily personal, but never exclusively individual. One of the greatest misconceptions, whether you're new to the Christian faith or you've been following Jesus for years, is the idea that you can follow Jesus, you can pursue the Christian life alone and be okay. Jesus never invited us to a me and Jesus life. He invited us to an us in Jesus life together. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying it to a group of people who are gathered around him. It's not a YouTube video I'm clicking in my privacy of my home. When Jesus says, take up your yoke, take up my yoke and learn from me, he's calling to a group of disciples to now come and learn alongside of one another as they are linked up with Jesus. When Jesus says, hear what I'm saying and do it, what does he say later? Everyone's gonna know you're mine, but how you love one another, not not only how you feel about one another, not only how you think about a church when you're in your quiet moments around scripture, but primarily how you actively choose love in the fellowship of the family of God, the local church. So what does this have to do with Monday, (laughs) right? So as a church, we're in a new series clarifying our calling to be a church for Monday, a church that longs to follow Jesus in all of life. And that's not because we're down on Sunday. Obviously, here we are. (laughs) But instead, when we gather together, we believe that when the church gathers together on Sunday, it should elevate the other six days of the week. Following Jesus does nothing less than change everything. And so in our desire to to be ready to follow Jesus on Monday, to follow him in all of life, we've seen seven distinguishing markers. It's not exhaustive, it's not a list that you know you work sequentially, but seven markers at least that are are key markers that you're on the path with Jesus headed in the right trajectory. And so over the last three weeks, we saw and started by saying that someone who's ready for Monday, ready to follow Jesus on Monday, is someone who first takes up their cross. It's self-denial that defines the walk with Jesus. Next, we saw that someone who is ready for Monday puts on the yoke. They walk with Jesus in his practices and his precepts, loving what Jesus loves, becoming more like Jesus. Then last week, we saw that someone who's ready for Monday builds their life on the Bible. This week, when we look at our passage, we come to see that everyone who's ready for Monday loves The church Jesus is the founder of the church he's continuing to make his church beautiful and build his church and he passionately loves his church and so should we and what we'll come to find actually is that your Monday needs a good Sunday your Monday needs a good Sunday now I know there are a lot of reasons people want to throw in the towel when it comes to the local church but they're not new You want to know how I know that? It's because the author of Hebrews in the passage that was just read for us in the first century, decades, just a couple decades after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is already warning followers of Jesus to not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Community has always been hard. People have been hard. Some of us more than others. And this morning, I want to give three reasons why we cannot just tolerate the church, but we must love the church like Jesus does. And why your Monday needs a really good Sunday. Why a really good Sunday will empower you more to rest. It'll equip you more to do your work well, no matter what it is that Jesus has called you to do throughout the week how to make you more present in your relationships how to equip you with more joy and ballast in the midst of uncertain circumstances how to make you more whole when you engage the habit yes the habit of loving the local church and today these three reasons are anchored in our text with the three let us statements in Hebrews chapter 10 so let's take a look at that together if you haven't already turn with me in your bibles to Hebrews 10 so why sunday Right? Why Sunday? Here's the first reason why your Monday needs a good Sunday. Your Monday needs acceptance. I mean, how many of us have relationships with people, and maybe you see this within yourself. Chances are good we all do. Have relationships with individuals, with coworkers, with family members, with friends who have this incessant need to prove themselves. And it works its way out and in those moments when people are unwilling to admit they're wrong. Because if they admit they're wrong, then maybe they're not worthy of love. It works its way out when people withhold forgiveness. Or maybe you have some relationships, or maybe you see this in yourself, where there's this endless need to have praise. If, and if they don't have endless praise all the time in crucial moments of all these conversations, then they crumble. Maybe you know this in yourself, maybe you know this in relationships with coworkers, friends, or family members, where there are people who just consistently look for opportunities, maybe unwittingly, that they don't even realize they're doing it, that they're tearing other people down. What's the result of those behaviors? It's broken relationships, it's stereotypes, it's caricatures, it's fragmentation, broadly, it's alienation. But what's the answer? the cure to so much relational toxicity that we experience on Monday is the acceptance we declare to one another when we gather together on Sunday. Isn't that what the author of Hebrews is laying out here? In the first verses here, in verses 19 through 22, the author of Hebrews says, all of that, all that you've done that made you unacceptable before a holy God, Jesus took care of on the cross. All of that that makes you unacceptable, the things, those visible flaws you know in yourself, and your character, those things that you've done that maybe only you know you've done, or maybe those things you did in ignorance, thinking they were driven by great motives, but as you dug a little bit deeper, were really driven by selfish desires and led to destructive cycles. All of that, Jesus says, I took that on me, and I took all the penalty for that, and I took the shame, and I took the guilt, and I brought it with me to the cross, and it died with me there. And then, when you get to verse 22, what does Jesus do? He washes our bodies. What an intimate, powerful picture. Isn't our shame and our guilt often just connected to our bodies? Jesus said, I wash you, I clean you, and now I make you perfectly acceptable to the highest standard in the universe. And the more we begin to truly let the reality sink deep that we are utterly and wholly accepted in God because of who God is and how good he is and what he has done, rather than trying to prove how good we are or that we've done enough good things, then finally, when we rest in our acceptance because of what Jesus has done, then we can say to one another, even though we see the flaws in each other, even though we experience the failures of the failed promises or the broken promises or the hurt relationships, we can say to one another in the words of the author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near, even despite all our brokenness and pain. You see, this is a radical invitation to a new, diverse family Centered in Jesus and Him alone. This is the church. Look around at the people in this room. This is the community that Jesus creates around Himself. You have people with different backgrounds, different records, different race, different cultural backgrounds, different socioeconomic placement. Different gender, different orientations. I mean, this is, we have a long way to go. There's so much brokenness, but this is really powerful. This, actually, you won't find anywhere else. I'm confident of that. You might find some diversity in a happy hour, but it's all the same age and the same income bracket. You know, I mean, but this kind of diversity that's all over the map only happens in the church, and it needs to grow, to be clear. It was a couple years ago, a friend of mine, um, she's an artist, also dabbled in some Wicca. We lived in a sixplex, my wife and I and, and her, and we invited her to church probably way too many times, because um, I'm a pastor, I guess. Uh, but no, but I really cared about her, and I thought, like, she wants community, and this community would really love her, um, and I think Jesus is the answer. Uh, that's why I'm in this business, right? Um, And so he invited her, invited her, and she kept saying, no, 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 no. And until finally she had some questions about God and about life. So she said yes. And she came a couple Sundays. And I'll never forget when Allie and I went out to lunch with her afterwards what she said. She said, you know, when I tried to bring up my questions about God with some of my artist friends, they said I was an idiot. And they said, I just need to get back to reality and keep creating art. This is nonsense. But she said, I came here, and I don't agree with everything you have to say about God. And I made that known, and people disagreed with me. But even though we came to different places in the conversation, I was respected. I was cared for. I experienced kindness. That's beautiful. Andy Crouch, former editor of Christianity Today and author of quite a few really great books, um, brilliantly noticed that the church is one of the last places in the world that humanizes people. And I think he's right. Because Jesus is at the center of that. That doesn't mean every church does that. There've been plenty of broken ones, but when the when the church is orchestrating the way that Jesus has designed the church to be, then it becomes a place of extraordinary acceptance in Jesus. And our Mondays need this acceptance. On Sunday, we gather together and we proclaim the acceptance we have in Jesus despite all of our brokenness. And we practice that acceptance with one another when we come to the table, when we talk with one another, when we don't have coffee and there's no restrooms and we still have to be cordial, right? Like, that's a test, isn't it? That's practice. You want to be ready for Monday. Your, your Monday needs a really good Sunday because your Monday needs this acceptance that comes only in the gospel of Jesus. Now, the second reason your Monday needs a really good Sunday is because your Monday needs hope. If you were to just look over the landscape of our our current cultural setting, do you feel like there's an excess of hope? (laughs) No. No, our Mondays are in desperate need of hope. And I want to be very clear. What I am not talking about and actually what Scripture does not talk about is some sort of silver lining perspective on life. This hope that, that, that the world needs isn't a call to just say, look on the brighter side of things. This hope that we need is not some wishful thinking in just anything. This hope against hope that something might get better, maybe. No, we need real hope anchored in history with the assurance that real change will one day come and every nightmare will be undone. And that kind of real hope doesn't come in isolation. Who here knows someone who has isolated, man or woman, isolated themselves and yet is buoyed with undue just hope? No. Counseling friend of mine said, no, actually, isolation and depression usually go real hand in, I mean, they go real close hand in hand. You want real hope? Real hope is found in one place. Real hope that goes against insurmountable odds is found in the church, a community that is defined by historical resurrection hope. And this is why when you come to Hebrews chapter 10, we read, "Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised, is faithful. The confession of our hope is that Jesus died and he rose again. That's real hope. Real hope is that the same God-man who died and rose again is one day going to come again and gather us to himself. Our hope, this real hope, is in a God who keeps his promises, although it doesn't always fit our timetable. Our hope, real hope, is in God and his character. That's real hope. And so on Sundays, we gather together to remember and celebrate that Jesus resurrected as he promised On Sunday, we gather together to remember the day on Sunday where life initially broke into a broken world when he physically resurrected. On Sunday, we gather together to remember that the impossible is indeed possible when it's anchored in Jesus. You know, in fact, Peter Berger, he was a world-renowned sociologist. you have to check him out. Uh, He was in... Kansas City a few years ago, and a couple of us pastors had an opportunity to chat with him, and he said this. I thought it was brilliant. He said, the church is someone standing on a box shouting, he is risen. And all the church shouts in reply, he is risen indeed. I love that because in reality, when we stare at the darkness of our life and we, we are tempted to be consumed by the brokenness and the despair of this world, we cannot conjure up. Jesus never called us to just find ourselves in isolation and try to conjure up this hope. No, he's called us to be in church in community and a family of God such that when we can't speak truth to ourselves, we need our brothers and sisters to say resurrection life is still possible. When we can't hear it or conjure it up within ourselves, when we feel so weak, we need our brothers and sisters to say change is possible because the same God who defeated the grave will not leave you defeated in the grave. And that real hope that comes exclusively in the gospel is sometimes the only thing we need to just give Monday another chance. That's the church, a place and a people of hope anchored in Jesus. And doesn't our Monday need that hope? So may we hold on to each other as we hold on to our hope in Jesus alone. You want to be ready for Monday? Your Monday needs a good Sunday, and your Monday needs this hope that only comes through a good Sunday. Now, there's one more reason why your Monday needs a good Sunday, and it's this. Your Monday needs the best you. (laughs) Your Monday needs the best you, and that isn't going to happen without the people sitting around you who are also committed to Jesus and what he is seeking to do in the world. This is why the author of Hebrews is so adamant, and he says in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. As you see the day drawing near, there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. So let's take advantage of every moment. Don't just try to give some of this to Jesus over here and some of this to yourself over here. Try to sit back and lay back. No, stir up one another to be the best that you can be, to make the biggest impact you can make. And we can't do that alone. When you start losing the habit of meeting together, you better believe that all the potential of what God wants to do through you is going to begin to decrease. There's something beautiful about the people of God gathered together in the Spirit, not only within us, but among us. Yes. And if the, on Sunday, we need each other. And throughout the week, with these connection points of accountability and conversation and prayer and charge and stirring one another up, people to see our blind spots, people to push us past our comfort zones, people to encourage us to do great things both inside these walls and out. And you'll never be the best you you can be on your own. You may not be content with who you are today, but you'll never be better on your own. And the best self you can be is a self that mirrors Jesus, who, yes, is fully God, but is the best human being this world has ever known. I want to invite you on just a little imaginative exercise. I want you to imagine that the church never existed. And that may be a little difficult, but I want you to imagine, let's just say in the past 200 years, the church did not exist in the United States. There were no Sunday gatherings, which tend to be a catalyst for other smaller gatherings throughout the week. There are no local churches. For me, what that would mean is that a single mom with three kids wouldn't have made it. There were plenty of times we didn't have money for food and our church helped us to put food on the table. I wouldn't have had mentors who were pouring pouring into me saying, hey, hey, Gabe, this over here is going to lead to death and destruction and it's going to steal your joy. But this over here, Jesus is pointing to this, chase after this. If I didn't have the church, I wouldn't have had opportunities to grow in leadership. If I didn't have the church, we wouldn't have had Christmas presents some Christmas. If we didn't have the church, I wouldn't have met my wife, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. And most of my friends, those deep friends who've gone with me through so much modeling the perseverance of Jesus, I wouldn't have. And then I want you to think a little bit broader. I want you to think about just about the broader landscape, okay? If there were no local churches, you know what that means? No Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A pastor of a local church who could not sit idly by and led his congregation to an ultimate public square impact. What that would mean is no abolition of the African slave trade. That would mean no AA. That would mean no fighting against sex trafficking. That would mean, yeah, and listen, our education system is rough, but imagine an education system without churches engaging. How much worse it would be, all of that without the local church. Imagine your own life without that stirring up community when you really wanted something, but some friends came alongside, hey, hey, you don't want to do that. Hey, hey, I know it feels like this is right right now, but this is going to destroy you in the long run. Hey, I know you got more in you. Come on, you can do this. Imagine your own life without that stirring up community. Imagine your life if you're more consistent in that stirring up community. Your Monday needs a really good Sunday because your Monday needs the best you you can bring. And your city will be better when the church is better and when you are engaged in your church. Now, I know for some, I instantly hear the pushback. Gabe, that's not my story with the church. I didn't soar in the church, and I get it. I get it because then often the other pushback is, well, the people who soar in the church are the ones who already have everything going for them. They're the quote-unquote, you know, Top of the echelon anyway, so of course they're going to soar in the church as well, and that's just not true as a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with people who have deep brokenness and deep pain and then found great soaring in the local church and as I was thinking about what what were some of those key characteristics of people who soared in the church, even though their lives are a mess, some of these consistencies, there are three things because I'm a th- you know pastor, three things right three things. Uh, that allow this acceptance to go deeper, this hope to be richer, and really equip you to be better tomorrow and our city to be better in the long run. Here they are. People who get the most out of Sunday for Monday make it on Sunday as consistent as they make it on Monday. Make showing up on Sunday as consistent as showing up on Monday. They make Sunday a priority. Be here. Be here on time. If you, if you are expecting great things from the church, but you always show up late, you always leave early, and you're coming once or maybe twice a month, you've got way too big of expectations for the little amount you're putting in. I'm just saying, that's not the way relationships work, and that's unfair. And then we point our finger at the church and say, see, you're not there for me. Well, you were here. <laughs> just being real, okay? You would never put that expectation on anybody else or when any other friend would say, hey, why weren't you there for me? And you'd be like, who are you? Um, you know, we met for coffee six months ago and then I went through all this mess and you weren't there. And it's like, well, dude, who are you? You know, don't put those expectations that we would see as irrational on every other relationship and now put them on the church. People who soar in the church, who make the most out of their Sunday for Monday are people who make it a point to show up on Sunday as consistent as showing up on Monday. Here's a little exercise. Look over the past three months. And just see how many times you came to church on Sunday. Go through it. And then I want you to, this is where it starts to be painful. Show up and start marking on there how many times you you showed up when things got started. That probably wouldn't fly at your job, right? But people who soar in the church make it a point to be here, to be on time and to engage the life of the community and all that it has to offer when it's centered on Jesus. Second, Thing that people who get the most out of their Sunday for Monday serve like they've got stock in the church. Serve like they've got stock in the church, thinking that if the church begins to flourish, so will they. Sometimes people think, well, the people who are serving are the people who love the church, so of course they're going to serve. Not always. Sometimes people serve the church, and then the love, those feelings follow after. The longer you're married, so, you know, Allie and I, we've had these disagreements, and there are times the feelings aren't there. But when I act out of love, even though I don't feel love, my feelings sometimes follow up. It's the same with the church. You want to know how to love your church? You want to know what it means to, or you want an opportunity to feel more deeply for your church? Serve. Get engaged in that way. And understanding that when your church flourishes, our city's better which means you're better. And then thirdly, people who get the most out of Sunday from Monday invest financially in the church for bigger impact. Giving financially is a huge component. We are embodied creatures. We're not just these floating around minds. We all know that digital community is not the sum total of what it means to be human for us to flourish. So we have to gather in physical space, which means we need physical space to shelter us from the elements, which requires resources. And sometimes we can't even follow through on that because the water's out, you know? (laughs) But the reality is is we've got a space in Shawnee Mission and one downtown that's going to cost extraordinary resources, but we think it's a good investment, mainly because Jesus said the gates of hell would never be able to overcome his church. That's a pretty dang good investment um, (laughs) when I start assessing, you know, return ROI, you know? Imagine if the churches in Kansas City disappeared. Don't let that happen. We do have personal responsibility and we can't shirk it and then point our finger at the church, okay? Great. So here are the three, those are the three things uh, that people who get the most out of Sunday impact their Monday. And when you really start doing that, that's where that acceptance, that hope, and that enrichment, encouragement, and growth begins to take shape and the more you lean in, you might even have moments like this. So let's watch. We, we always wanted,
2: knew that we wanted to have a bigger family. For me, it came down to, okay, well, four is kind of a lot, so I want a bigger family, but so, so it was kind of always a joke. I always said, well, let's either have three or four, whichever one comes first.
3: He literally said that, <laughs> and God was like, <laughs> Like, made an appointment to get labs done and sure enough they said you know like you're pregnant
2: and they uh, they wanted us to come in for an ultrasound because Caitlin's HCG levels were a little bit high and uh, that's when we met Lisa
4: my name's Lisa Linhart and I work in ultrasound and I work now in this uh, very small specialty of ultrasound and reproductive endocrinology
3: we made the connection that we both went to Christ community and so um, that's when we were like um, I don't know. I just feel like God had that all in his hands, like just the perfect timing of the people he placed in our lives. So we had gone in for like our first ultrasound. So we
4: hugged and said hello, and I kind of said a, a quiet prayer in my head that we would see a heartbeat that day. And so I brought him back and started scanning.
3: I don't remember what she said, something about like, so when you see a little circle or a little dot right there, like that means that that's a, there's a baby right there.
4: And immediately knew that it was a multiple pregnancy. And it's not unusual for us to see twins, but anything more than that is um, pretty unusual, pretty rare. And so I knew right away that this was gonna be some um, big news that I'd have to deliver.
3: (laughs) We sort of like looked up at the screen and we could like clearly see that there were like three dots. And um, all I could do was just like laugh at like, oh my gosh, like. I didn't laugh.
4: (laughs) Next week they came back, seven days later, and this time counted one, two, three, four heartbeats.
3: At that point, sort of shaking and just like, oh my goodness, like. like I mean I knew three was a lot but like what does that do for like my body for the babies
4: I do just count it an honor and a privilege to to walk through these moments with people
3: it's hard to hear but like that like the Mm -hmm. chance of all four of them making it um, um, is very slim and um,
2: it was less than one percent but at the same time we knew that it was in God's hands
4: we see a lot of success but we also see a lot of um, a lot of loss, and people come in carrying a lot of pain, and some of that is seen, and most of it is unseen.
2: And Caitlin and I kept going back to, I mean, what's the smartest thing to do? Uh, the smartest thing to do is, I mean, lean on our faith um, and, and let God do this, because this is all in His hands.
3: If you came to our house today, I mean, you would obviously hear um, lots of um, crying and lots of um, little ones crawling around, crumbs on the floor, and um, life is never what we expected it to look like, but in a great way. So, yeah, it's changing lots and lots of dirty diapers and cleaning up lots and lots of spit up still and washing, like, at least two or three loads of laundry every day. I
2: don't know who said it to who, but um, just when all the kids were going crazy and I was about to rip out my hair, um, we were just like, you know what? We have to embrace the chaos. Um, And so that's something that we've really been living by.
3: From the very beginning, we could not have done it without our church family and our family.
2: We were just blown away at people's generosity and just knowing that that they're, they're praying for us and that they took the time to make us a meal or to pick us up some food. I mean, there were even times that I was picking up meals from people that I didn't even know who they were um, that, that go to our church and that were just blessing us in that way. It's beautiful to look back. It was terrifying and still is terrifying, but it just it's beautiful to look back.
1: I love that moment when he says, I didn't laugh. <laughs> I just, <clears throat> what a beautiful story. Um, and it's fun to kind of see them because they, yeah, they, they go to church and they're just like, they've got this connection and they continue to have this deep relationship that not only was on Sunday, but went throughout the week. And that's really what the church is meant to be, its bleeding out. When you're really investing in one another and getting to know each other and, and care for each other. Well, I didn't want to just have a story up on the screen that happened at one of our campuses. I wanted us to hear from somebody who's here at the downtown campus and to hear a little bit of their story and their commitment to the local church and why. And so uh, at this time, I want to invite up Lydia to join us this morning. Will you welcome her up this morning? You know, it's kind of like the pastor's deal that the pastor says, come to church, right? Like everybody's like, oh, shocker sermon, right? Uh, the reality is, is I have a unique window over coffee or in conversations where I hear the local church, which isn't the pastor. I mean, it's us and what God's doing through us that makes the local church so beautiful. And I just wanted us to get a window into someone who I know loves the local church um, and also has so much to teach us. And so this morning, Lydia, I wonder if you just start off by telling us how this community has impacted you personally. Sure.
5: I moved up from Texas to Kansas City about five and a half years ago and started, I visited a couple places, but settled on Christ Community shortly afterwards. And became a member after I had been attending for about a year. And there were a lot of things that drew me to the church. You know, I appreciate the thoughtful worship. I appreciate the community engagement. I appreciate your cheesy dad jokes. (laughs) There are plenty. (laughs) There are so many (laughs) things. But the thing that really stood out to me was the engagement with Scripture. Um, Christ Community, you know, if you've been attending here for any length of time, you know this is a church that values God's word, that really is built on the authority of scripture, that doesn't water down or compromise truth. And yet it is, as you noted with the story of your, your artist friend, It is the type of place where I could feel comfortable bringing someone from any walk of life, any uh, belief system or socio-cultural background and know that they would feel loved and respected and engaged well. Um, I remember a while back, I invited one of my friends to church with me and she um, is Buddhist and we got to church that day And the passage was from a little bit later in Hebrews, where it says, if we deliberately keep sinning when we've received the truth, there is no forgiveness, just the expectation of raging fire. And I thought, oh, no, this is going to be a train wreck. You have all the passages that you would hope to be preached from when you invite a non-Christian friend to church. That's, you know, towards the bottom of the list. (laughs) And I thought, oh, no, oh, no, this is going to be really bad. But the exposition of that passage was so respectful and so compassionate and so well done, and Um, we were driving afterwards, my friend and I, to go to lunch, and she said, I really love that. And I said, oh, you you did. Well, tell me more. Um, So just to know that this is a church that combines just such uh, respect of scripture with uh, compassion for people, you know, and that really comes through, especially, I think, when we're dealing with difficult topics like hell or Christian sexual ethics or other things that very often, you know, people look at the church and say, well, how could they think that? How could they believe that? Um, we really, I, I think, engage well on those topics.
1: So, Tyler was probably preaching that day, so it's hmm. funny. But the um, I wonder why you are someone who's like, I could maybe count on one hand, and maybe it's wrong even that... you where you're not at church on Sunday. You know, I'm curious, like why are you so committed to being here every week?
5: So I think as as you mentioned, these these verses from Hebrews where it says, you know, encourage one another, spur one on, spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know, you can't do that in a vacuum. You know, it's wonderful, I like to journal, I like to, you know, sit at home. I, I like alone time. I recharge that way. But you can't you can't obey these verses from Hebrews by yourself. Uh, with your Bible and journal and Starbucks. Um, I have found that, you know, when I think about how I have been able to experience the truth of these verses. I think the uh, primary venue where I've really experienced that on an ongoing basis has actually been my community group. So shout out to David and Kelly back there. We have a great community group. And you know over the past few years that I've been in the group, you know, we've seen people in the group go through the ups and downs of life, whether that is you know, not sleeping for six months because they just had a baby or job transitions or losing a parent. Um, I think about my own experience um, navigating treatment for depression and just how the group has been there for each other. Um, You know, I work out with people, friends, you know, through Jazzercise. I've been part of book clubs and those groups are great, but, you know, your book club isn't going to be there for you the way the church is. So that's been a really beautiful thing. I, um, Also, just thinking through that text, you know, spur one on another to love and good deeds and just think about um, how I've grown through the example of people in the church, and not just examples, and you know where, where you might you know watch a video about them or read an article about them, but to, uh, examples of people that I'm in relationship with, whether that's Jacob and Michelle Holland and how you know, they've been foster parents and then adopted two of their foster kids, or uh, Lori Wetmore, uh, Wetmore and her commitment to engaging well with the marginalized, and it is that as you said, you know there's obvi- obviously we all go through ups and downs. No one feels 100% committed to following. Jesus all the time. And when you're in community through the local church, um, the commitment of others can help you hang in there when your own commitment feels a little weak.
1: That's so good. So maybe, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, tomorrow's Monday, right? Mm -hmm. And for all of us, there's maybe like this little love frustration relationship with the church sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes ready to throw in the towel, sometimes Why am I doing this? Like, what's like a practical tip you would give folks here, me too, (laughs) that when you're frustrated with the church, what's a practical tip that we could be doing to continue to persevere?
5: Sure, I think it's important to remember that most worthwhile things in life have a learning curve. And if you think about something like learning to drive a car or learning to speak a foreign language or starting a fitness program, it's highly unusual for something like that to feel totally organic and seamless and effortless at first you know usually you have to, to put some work in before it starts to feel like things are clicking and even like to go back to my example of the community group I'm a pretty strong in- introvert and I have to know someone pretty well before being around them gives energy rather than taking energy hmm. so it took you know quite a few months of community group where I said okay it's Thursday I'm tired from work I really just want to go home to say okay I, I'm gonna do it this I'm gonna do this and I' I distinctly remember the first week where I said, oh, this is so great. I'm really excited because we have community group tonight. So I think, I think people <laughs> sometimes give up too soon, whether it's, mm. it's serving or giving, and they say, you know, I don't feel amazing right away. You know, I didn't meet my best friends of my whole life, my first community group session, or my first time serving felt a little like out of my depth or weird. Um, I think you have to give it time.
1: <laughs> mm. That's so good. Well, you know, Lydia, you're so wise. And it's just been such an encouragement to my heart um, and to my kids, you know. This is the other thing when you talk about multi generational, like my kids need all of us because they're watching you sing, you know, in first service, if you come in first. service. I get it. But other people's kids are watching, like they're watching us, and so much more is caught than taught. And you've just been an amazing example, a deep encouragement to my heart, and continue to make me a smarter person when I just be quiet and listen. Um, so, would you do us all a favor and would you pray for our church? Um, That we would live more into the design that Jesus has laid out, and even when it's not, that we'd have this perseverance to love the church.
5: God, we are so grateful to be part of this church and to know that um, you have made it so that we each have a part, and you have made it so that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I thank you for the many people here who have been an encouragement and blessing to me. And I pray that our church would be, as our our mission statement says, a caring family of multiplying disciples, and that we would really lean into Sunday and Monday. Mm. Um, I pray for um, your protection and blessing on our leadership, on Gabe and Tyler and Ben um, and others who are leading, that you might give them great wisdom. Um, especially now as we're navigating um, a lot of changes and challenges with facilities and other things, uh, we pray for your provision, and we pray that you might um, use us as a light in this community and and around the world. So thank you for um, the great blessing it is to be part of this church family, and uh, we we worship you and honor you for um, how you are working something beyond what we could imagine or do on our own, in Jesus' name. Amen.